Well, I appreciate Joshua Brazil praying for our upcoming deacon elections in the next several weeks. And just to remind you that uh, tomorrow is the day, the deadline, in which if you uh, desire to make any changes, whether your name is on or off our deacon study list, we hope you'll contact the church office and let us know. We're also in the process of signing up for our Wednesday night spiritual formation classes. And you can do so this morning right down in Grand Central. You can go online uh, and do it on our website, or you can, again, call the church office. And we'd love to have you being, be a part of a Wednesday night study as we start things up the 1st of September. Well, let me invite you to take your Bibles for a moment this morning. And we're going to turn to John's Gospel, the very end of the 7th chapter and we'll be reading into the 8th chapter this morning. Now, I don't know if your translation at this point has the same note that mine has. But let me read you what my note has. And this is out of the New International Version. It says, the earliest manuscripts, speaking of the Greek manuscripts in which the New Testament was written, the earliest manuscripts and many other ancient witnesses do not have John 7:53 through 8, verse 11. I don't know if your Bible has a note that contains that. But the fact is that many of the early Greek and best manuscripts that we have do not contain the story we're going to read about the woman who is caught in the act of adultery and brought to Jesus. Many of the early uh, translations of the Bible do not include this story. What's further interesting about this story is that when it does appear in some of the manuscripts, it's found, for instance, at the end of John's Gospel, chapter 21, verse 34, after verse 34 and before verse 35, this story in some manuscripts is inserted. Also, in Luke chapter 21, can you believe this story has been inserted in some manuscripts in Luke? chapter 21. In fact, a lot of scholars believe that this story has more characteristics of Luke's gospel than it does of John's gospel. However, that's not to say that there is no evidence that Jesus did not have this kind of encounter uh, with this particular woman. So I don't think we need to doubt that it occurred. It's just kind of interesting that it's found in different locations in some of the early Greek manuscripts. Well, let's read the text, beginning with verse 53 of chapter 7, and then moving into chapter 8. And this takes place in Jerusalem, there at the temple. Then each went to his own home. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. 
But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept, kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to, to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one accused you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now that we've heard this story read, let's watch this story enacted out in video. When you find this treasure, this woman caught in the very act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commands us to stone such women. What do you say, teacher? They're beating him. It's a trap. I was told you preach according to the law of Moses. Do you have an answer, Nazarene? Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to cast their stone. sin again. Oh. 
Oh. I want to see the temple. I'll tell you more tomorrow. Do you want to come with us? Where? Does it matter? Yes. I go where I want. I'm free. You're not free. But you could be. You should come with us. You treated her like... like she was worth something. She is. So are you. You treated her like she was worth something. Said the woman. And Jesus replied back, she is. And so are you. Now we don't have any evidence that that particular encounter occurred after the encounter of the woman brought to Jesus caught in adultery. That's probably just some dramatic addition to this uh, 1999 made-for-television movie that some of you remember, entitled Jesus. But if it had occurred, and it could have, who knows, it is a rather Jesus-like response back to this second woman, isn't it? You treated her like she was worth something. She is. And so are you. Of course, we know that's not the way the Jewish leaders chose to respond to this woman's sin, is it? They did not treat this woman like she was worth something. In fact, the text tells us that the Jewish religious leaders in this particular situation were not necessarily interested as much in this woman's sin as they were in trying to find a basis to accuse Jesus of using her circumstance to place Jesus in a quandary. See, here's the quandary. If Jesus says that the woman should be stoned, uh-huh, now he's in big trouble, hot water with the Roman authorities because the Roman law did not prescribe the death penalty for adultery. So Jesus is in trouble if he says she should be stoned. If he says that she shouldn't be stoned, then she is obviously going against Mosaic law that does prescribe the death penalty for adultery. So either way Jesus turns, he's facing a potential mess on his hands. So Jesus turns to the woman's accusers, and he says to them, If any one of you is without sin, then let him be the first to cast a stone. Now we have two words for sin in this particular text. And this is the first word. This particular word for sin means to be guiltless. It means to be blameless. 
It means to be faultless. It means to be unerring. So Jesus is saying to these religious leaders, if you are blameless, if you are faultless, if you are guiltless, if you have no error in your life, then by all means be the first to cast the stone. In fact, the word means not only to be blameless, faultless, or without error in what you do and in what you say and in what you think, but it also means with your desires. If you've never had a faultless, blameless, unerring desire in your life, by all means be the first to cast the stone. Of course, there's a lot of speculation about what Jesus was writing in the ground, in the dirt, in the sand with his finger. There are some who say that what Jesus is doing is writing with his finger the sins that he knows these accusers bring even as they clutch the rocks of execution with their own fingers. He's writing and naming their sin before them. So Jesus' response back to the religious leaders is, if you are blameless, if you're guiltless, if you're faultless, if there is no error in your life in what you do and what you say and what you think, even in your intentionality and your desires, then you go ahead and judge this woman. Condemn her on the spot. Throw the first stone. And of course the text tells us from the oldest to the youngest, they began to leave. Again, the woman in the video, in the movie says to Jesus, you treated her like she was worth something. She is, said Jesus, and so are you. You know, even a sinner like this woman caught in the very act of adultery is worth something in Jesus' eyes. She deserves to be treated with dignity and respect and value. He challenges her to see herself as a person who's worth something, who is created in the image of God. You know, even the most evil, vilest persons, and we got a lot of those folks on the world stage right now, It's hard for us sometimes to not to want to demonize someone and to see them as an individual whom God has created in his image, whom he loves and who he continues to reach out to. So Jesus says to this woman in this text, go now and leave your life of sin. Or in the King James Version that you hear, and this is probably one of the most quoted versions, uh, quoted Uh, passages of scripture, go and sin no more. Now we've got our second word for sin here in this text. This particular word for sin means that you miss a target for which you're aiming. You are aiming for a mark, you are aiming for a target, and you miss it. I like to think of someone who has a bow and an arrow and, he, and they're going after a target and they've got the bullseye in the center and they pull the bow back and they let the arrow fly and not only does it miss the bullseye, it misses the entire target. That's what this word for sin means. 
It means you have aimed for a particular mark, you have aimed for a particular target, and you have completely miss, missed it. It also means, this word for sin, it means to err. It can also mean to fall short. So you are aiming for the target with your arrow, and it just fell short of the target and never hit it. What Jesus is saying in this text is he is saying you have missed the mark of all that God intended for you to be. Jesus asked in this text the woman where her accusers are. Now you know in Jewish law, in order to be convicted of a particular trespass or crime, it required the presence of two accusers who would give the evidence of the crime. And when the woman states that no accusers remain to inflict the death penalty, Jesus responds, neither do I condemn you. Now you know Jesus had every opportunity in this text to read this woman the riot act. He had every opportunity to lay her low and to lecture her and to give her what for. Now you need to recall that the Jewish leaders wanted to stone the woman for this act of adultery. And by the way, we haven't even asked the question yet. Where is the man? Where's the man in this text? If she was caught in the act of adultery, doesn't it take another person? Where's the man? Or is there a double standard? Or could it be the case, and we don't know any of this, could it be the case that this man has been part of the plot? He's been part of the conspiracy. The Jewish leaders has come to this particular man and they have asked him to seduce a woman into the act of adultery whereupon they would know it was going to happen. They could find her and bring her to Jesus so that they could get his response and catch him in a very difficult situation and let the man go off scot-free because he was part of the plot. Where's the man? Well, the Jewish leaders want to stone this woman. Now, you see, in Jewish law, if a man and a woman are caught in the act of adultery, the death penalty is prescribed for both of them. But there's some evidence, perhaps, and by the way, the death penalty, the means of it is not prescribed. How it occurred is not, how it would occur is not specified. In this particular case, stoning is mentioned. Which leads some people to think that perhaps this woman was not officially married yet, but she was an engaged woman. Because you see, the Jewish law also says that if a man commits adultery with a woman who is engaged to be married, the death penalty is prescribed, and it is specifically stated at that point that it's done by stoning. So it could be that this is a young woman. You know, women married early in, this, in these Days Whenever they reach puberty, adolescence, women married early, 14, 15, 16, that wasn't unusual. This could have been a young woman. And so the stoning is prescribed. So why not, while not necessarily calling for her to be stoned as punishment, 
Surely Jesus could have lectured her about her sin. Surely Jesus could have lectured her about the sanctity of marriage. Surely Jesus could have called on her for some form of public repentance. Surely Jesus could have humiliated her as part of her penance for her sin before pronouncing forgiveness, which, by the way, in this text, did you notice, Jesus never says one word about forgiveness. Now, last Sunday, when we looked at the woman who anointed Jesus' feet there at Simon the Pharisee's house, Jesus says to the woman, your sins, which are many, are forgiven. Here, he doesn't even say a word about the forgiveness of sin. He doesn't say one word. The fact is, Jesus could have offered a lecture. He could have called her out big time, and he doesn't do it. Wonder why? When I was in college and seminary, I served a United Methodist Church for almost six years as a director of youth and education, finishing up college, going throughout seminary. And our pastor, at the particular time, I'll never forget his preaching a sermon and telling this story. His daughter played on the high school softball team. There was another member of our congregation, a friend of his, whose daughter also played on the high school softball team. So here's the scene. They're sitting together in the stands. Both fathers, the pastor father, the church member father, and both of their daughters are on the field. The pastor father, his daughter plays shortstop. Almost from the very beginning of the first inning, when his daughter's in the field, Several balls are hit in her direction. One ball goes completely through her legs. Another ball, a little bit later, is hit and she fumbles it with her glove. The innings proceed. The second inning, the third inning, the daughter continues to make these uncharacteristic errors in the field. The ball continues to go through her legs. This is a young lady who eventually played college softball. She's not a bad softball player. She's just having a bad day. The ball is going through her legs. And every time the daughter makes an error, the pastor, father, the verbal outburst of encouragement gets louder and louder and louder. You ever seen a parent like that who's trying to coach from the stands? And here's the pastor owning that he was coaching his daughter. He was encouraging her, don't let the ball go through your legs. And every time the ball is is hit in her direction, the errors get worse. Finally, after several innings of listening to this pastor father publicly (coughs) encourage his daughter to do better, The church member friend, who's also got a daughter on the field playing for the same team, calmly turns to the pastor and gently says to him, George, when the ball goes through your legs, no one knows it better than you. Jesus knows that this woman does not need condemnation and judgment. 
No one knows better than she does about her sin. Rather than condemnation and judgment, Jesus gives her an invitation. He invites her into a new way of life that can be free from sin. Maybe that's what Jesus is drawing on the ground with his fingers. Not words of condemnation, but words of invitation. In essence, saying to her, God intends for you not to miss the mark of his best for your life. Go and don't err again. Don't fall short of the target of all that God created you to be. That's the statement that Jesus, I think, is saying to this woman. And I think that's what he's saying to you and to me today as well. You see, like this woman, you and I know our sin all too well. We don't need anyone to tell us that the ball has been hit through our legs. We see those missing pieces of our lives where we have failed to live up to the mark, to the standard of all that God created us to be. We know how we have kept our sin at times secret and hidden and swept underneath the carpet, hopeful, prayerful that no one else will see it. Sometimes we've even played the denial game. It's not really there. But the last thing that we need are not words of condemnation and words of judgment. We need words of invitation. And we need words of reminders that God is a God of grace and forgiveness. Those, I think, are the words that are written in the ground for that woman. And I think those are the words that are written in the ground for us as well. Let's pray together. God, in those <clears throat> moments of candor and honesty and transparency, we even have to admit to ourselves that we are flawed, fallen, and broken people. Our sins are many. Our failures are often and frequent. Our inadequacy is always before us. God, there is not one thing about us that is perfect or complete yet. Lord, we need you to continue to write with your finger on the ground those words that invite us to become all that you have created us to be. So we name and confess that sin before you this morning and we ask for your help to take that next step that is filled with your love, with your encouragement, with your promise that you can resurrect out of the dust of the oldness of our life and make all things new. So send us forth from this place this morning forgiven, cleansed, and reminded that ultimately you are not a God 
that condemns us or desires to do so, but you are a God who receives us and embraces us and invites us to that new way of living that frees us and truly makes us free. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.